Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Jake. Yes, sir. Did you know it is our anniversary month? How long have we been married? (laughs) No, the show. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I did know The that, show's actually. anniversary. We are turning six years old, and to celebrate that- We're going to first grade. We're <laughs> close. We're giving a discount on our Patreon. If you join the year-long subscription to the Patreon, you can get 15% off during the month of May. You can find out everything about our Patreon at patreon.com slash thecritshow, but all tiers for the month of May are 15% off when you sign up for the annual membership. Is that as exciting as first grade? You know, now that I'm kind of remembering back to first grade, that's far better than first grade. Everybody, welcome to the Crit Show. This is an actual play podcast where we play Monster of the Week and other Powered by the Apocalypse games. But today we are here with a different purpose. Today we are here to play Fate of Cthulhu. I am the host and GM of the Crit Show. My name is Rev, and I'll be one of the players today. Around the table we have I'm Tass. This is Teej, and I am Jake. And we are joined by Ed Turner, who is on the writing team for Fate of Cthulhu. Thanks for joining us today, Ed. Uh, thanks for having me. So could you tell us a little bit about Fate of Cthulhu? Absolutely. So Fate of Cthulhu is a fate-based game about, and wait for it, Cthulhu. <laughs> Specifically, uh, Fate of Cthulhu is set in a, uh, a world where the apocalypse has already happened. One of the great old ones has risen, uh, taken over the world, reduced humanity to a few crumbling last bastions of civilization way out in the middle of nowhere, hounded by monsters, but able, through the use of science and magic alike, to send a couple brave volunteers back in time. Because you can't defeat a great old one, but you can prevent it from coming to power. The uh, uh, real quick summary of what is Fate of Cthulhu, it's Terminator, but Skynet is Cthulhu. Nice. And can you talk to us just a little bit about what a Fate game is for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with it? We, you know, we cover a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, and a couple Forged in the Dark games, but this is actually our first Fate game. Uh, Fate Core is a system that is made... uh, Really, specifically, to be good for pulpy adventures, it is... uh, Fate Core is a universal system. You can download it, actually, for free, or or pay what you want and take a look, that is 
designed to tell stories about characters who are powerful and proactive, uh, changing the world and being changed by it. It's pretty flexible and, and really easy to get into, which is why there are so many different like variations of it. If you're not familiar with Fate, probably the kind of most defining feature of it is that uh, Fate characters and really everything in the game is built out of what are called aspects. Aspects are sort of a gamification of something that you do in games anyway, which is establish truths about the world. Uh, an aspect is just a specific sentence or phrase of something that is true about a character or about a world uh, that you, by virtue of having this aspect, are able to take advantage of, regardless of what your specific skills and other mechanical detritus are, if you have an aspect on your character that says, good at guns, then that is a true fact. Your character is now good at guns. That's something that I cannot take away. Uh, it's something that affects how you exist. It's something that you can uh, get mechanical advantage from by invoking that aspect for a bonus to a roll or for a re-roll or to sort of slightly change the narrative. And it's something that I can take advantage of as the GM by compelling, which is giving you a point to make something bad happen. <laughs> um, I'm just curious here because uh, this is one that threw me off. Tell me a little bit about the dice I'm looking at. You know, we play any other game and we say, I'm going to get my set of dice out. You know, what, what we're using here is not what I picture. Yes, you are using fate dice or fudge dice, if uh, you prefer. These are six-sided dice on which uh, two sides have a plus sign, two sides are blank, and two sides have a minus. And when you are rolling, when, you know, the situation arises that you need to roll dice, you'll roll four of those to generate a result somewhere between negative four and positive four. And then you would add that to whatever the appropriate skill is... And hopefully, you will beat the uh, difficulty that I have asked you to beat. And if you do, that's great. And if you don't, that's great, too. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me, why are they also called fudge dice? I was going to ask that, yeah. Fate is uh, based, you know, inspired by an earlier game called Fudge. Okay. I ordered fate dice for us, and they arrived in a brown dice bag that just said Fudge on the front, and I was... <laughs> <laughs> so confused because the bag did not smell like fudge. Did you try tasting the dice, though? Well, well come on. I these have been a lot of yet, places but... now, and I'm not willing to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so before we step into the character creation part of this, can you give us a little sneak peek at the world we're going to go into? I can and I will. Um, one thing I will say about Fate of Cthulhu specifically before I get into this is that the book comes with five uh, specific timelines for the different ways different old ones have come to power that sort of present you with you know the background for this great old one, this eldritch monstrosity that has destroyed the world, and four of the events that have led to its rise, which you as as the time travelers, as the heroes, will be trying to prevent or at least alter. And so, in this case, I have decided that for you, you are going to be subject to the arrival of the King in Yellow. Hmm. A quick rundown of how the apocalypse happened. It started in 2020 with illness, viral outbreaks, small at first, but very quickly spreading until most of the world was in a, a perpetual plague-ridden state. And then in 20. 
30, after 10 years of struggling to uh, contain these diseases, out of nowhere, a man twisted with a grotesque face covered in boils and scars and growths appeared in Convent Garden in London, bringing with him this sort of yellow fog. Uh, he strode down the street. Passerby would see briefly that he is wearing yellow regalia and a broken crown, but those passerby don't really live to tell the tale because anyone who gets caught up in this fog uh, succumbs to these same diseases that have been plaguing the globe, but much much more rapidly. Some, you know, 90% of the folks who get in the fog die right away. Others are twisted and turned, the disease growing new limbs or mouths or heads on their body. Oh. Uh, and they begin to follow the king in yellow. As this is happening in London, it is also happening in New York. It is also happening in Amsterdam, in Berlin, in Helsinki, in Edinburgh, across the globe. This same king is walking down the street spreading disease. Within hours, the major cities of the world have been uh, emptied of people and filled with these twisted monsters. And slowly, new buildings projecting out of the ground, a twisted cityscape grows up around the king and these creatures. As time went by, and by time I mean days, not months, uh, humanity fled as best as they could to smaller and smaller bastions of civilization, the final one being Canada. Alberta, Canada, what is, as far as you know, the last bastion of humanity in a diseased world. And it was there that the survivors, trying in vain anything they could to uh, prevent this uh, this catastrophe, learned about Yogg-Sothoth, an outer god which touched all points in time simultaneously, and fi figured out that it would be just about possible for them to send someone back into the past, just ten years, and prevent all this from going down in the first place. And that's where you come in. Excellent. So, can you walk us through the character creation process? I can! And I will. That's really the question I should have asked. <laughs> He's like, oh, I can, but I'm going to watch you struggle. <laughs> so the characters you're going to be making before you do anything else, the first decision you have to make is, are you one of these people who is being sent back in time? Or are you someone from the present? Are you a, a person from 2020 who's going to get caught up in this? Or are you someone from 2030 who has seen the apocalypse and is now trying to prevent it? We talked about this just a little bit before we got started, and I think we all know uh, I'm going to be from the future. Uh, I will also be from the future. I think I'm going to be from the present. I'll also be from the present. Excellent. Uh, one thing to know, those of you who are from the future, the process of time travel is not easy or good. So you are going to be slightly twisted by having been sent back in time. You are going to get a corrupted aspect. And I'll talk about what that means momentarily, but in general, just know that you are a little bit eldritch yourself. Mm, neat. But now is the time to talk about aspects. And as I said before, these are sort of true statements about, in this case, your character. Uh, and the one you'll start with is what is called the high concept, which is pretty much what it sounds like. What is the high concept for your character? In a, a short sentence or phrase, if you had to describe them, what do you want them to be? So I think generally my character is uh, a smart guy. Like that's his, he's, he's got a big brain. So I think he was a, like a conspiracy theorist. 
sort of, who was proven right. Um, and now is <laughs> and now is like a legitimized, uh, like even respected person because of that. Like he's seen as smart instead of a crackpot. Uh, so I think for my high concept, I think he's actually like an official for maybe this this haven, this last bastion. Uh, I'm gonna say he is head of parapsychological research. I love it. Also, being from the future, my high concept is living repository of humanity's fate. Uh, my character is Noel, and she was an assistant in the labs working with Jake's character, and they had developed this essentially synthetic body that they thought they were going to send back in time, and they could fill it with all of the knowledge they have from the last 10 years to be helpful to the person going back to try to prevent this. But once it was built, it didn't work. Like, it worked, but it couldn't move. It couldn't react. And so they asked for a volunteer to have their essentially their brain and their nervous system put into this machine, and she volunteered. So you are a brain in a synthetic body. Yeah, and I think talking about, you know, the the effects of it all and, you know, mixing with technology and what that can do, I'm almost thinking of it like Krang, that, that she's a brain, but it's actually in the torso because that was the place where there was room. And so then the nervous system just kind of runs throughout, but that it, it's just, yeah, the operating system is, is in the core. They were just like, uh, yeah, we filled the head with all this like computer stuff. Guess we better put this somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Where's this going to go? Do you have like a window to like see the brain? No, no, that's super dangerous. <laughs> Might as well put a just big... got his butt kicked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well put a big glowing red button somewhere on you. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with a kind of more actiony Indiana Jones. Um, I, I like the idea of this young guy I have named Denny, Denny Fairfield. And uh, I think the high concept I'm going to call that a paranormal relic hunter. Um, I get this idea that his father was a very well-respected archaeologist and went missing. And in researching that, uh, Denny discovered that his dad had been tracking down relics of old ones and like things that had mystical attachments. And that really spawned his curiosity. So he went back to school and he went in for archaeology as well and just wasn't very good at it. Um, he's a very athletic guy, very positive guy, but he just didn't do great in school. He just barely got through it and then went out to uh, try to find out more about what happened to his dad. All right. I love it. Did you say a more action-y Indiana Jones? More action Oh, yeah. my. Yeah. Talking two whips. <laughs> <laughs> my character, I think, is going to kind of go off of his uh, Denny character a little bit. And I see myself as the the loyal sort of butler type of character that follows him around, helps him out whenever he needs help. His bodyguard, just kind of like the, the Duckworth to his Scrooge McDuck sort of thing, you know? <laughs> so I'm thinking uh, my aspect is loyal butler adventurer with a soldierly past. I like that you went Duckworth instead of Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good. I like where we're going so far. So you have your high concepts. You have your general idea of the character, and now we kind of dial down into them a little bit more. We complicate them with four more aspects. The next one is going to be what is called your trouble. As I said before with aspects, one of the things I can do is compel them, which is use them to make bad things happen to you. This is the aspect that I will be doing that with more than anything else. This is trouble that you have, something you are bad at, something you are tied to, something that you are afraid of. 
That's just grist for my mill. Nice. I think that Vance, my guy's name is Dr. Vance Benson, by the way, didn't actually earn his doctorate. It's an honorary (laughs) title. Um, His trouble is that he thinks he's always right. He's got quite an ego on him as far as intellect goes. So if, if he thinks one plan is the right plan and someone else on the team thinks otherwise, he'll die on that hill. He thinks his idea is best because he's the smartest guy in the room. Perfect. Noel's trouble is what I have labeled sensory overload. And it is that when they put this body together and send it back in time, they weren't thinking about the fact of how much more normal, like wireless and Bluetooth signals were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so when she is in a place that might be heavily trafficked by signals and she's like looking for data or trying to access knowledge, she might pick up the most recent viral video or the most (laughs) recent stream of tweets. Like the wrong info might come in because she's got all these open channels to pull from. A shuggeth is running down the halls, but you are, you have cat videos in front of you. So you just, (laughs) yes, get in your cage, get in your cage. (laughs) Uh, For Denny, I think the phrase I want to go with is overwhelmingly curious. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Just that thought of him being down in some tomb and hears a growl. And even as scared as he is about the situation, he would rather know what it is. He's got to go see what made that happen so that he can figure out what to do about it. And of course, running is probably just the better thing, but that's not what he's going to do. Oh, Denny, you make my job too easy. I love it. I was going to say that the title of that aspect seems like the greatest gift you could ever hand to a game game master on a silver platter. Okay, I'm going to change it to, I kind of want to see it. Nope, too late. (laughs) Oh, darn it. Okay. Uh, My trouble is that, and Denny doesn't know this, I blame myself for the death of his father. (gasps) Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. Intrigue. Like uh, on his last adventure... Something happened that his father was killed and I had a chance to save him and I didn't. I love it. So you have your troubles. You have your high concepts. You need to establish now a relationship. Uh, And this is the aspect that is kind of going to forge you into more of a group. Every one of you uh, will make an aspect that relates your character to one of the other characters. I think it would also be ideal if at least one of you uh, from the future was relating to someone from the past just to make sure like, there is a tie there and it's not just future team and past team hanging out. So I think that my relationship is going to be with Noelle because she's the other person from the future. I think I'm going to go with Noelle keeps me grounded and I think that is twofold. Uh, one, Noelle has seen like the same horrors and results in the future that I've seen. So whenever something's like overwhelming or daunting or inexplicable, like hard to perceive, I can count on, well, I know Noel has also seen this. Like I'm not, I'm not wrong. I'm not crazy. I'm not losing my mind. Noel's been where I've been. The other branch of that I think is when I am so up my own ass, uh, I remember that Noel is literally a robot body full of all of the knowledge. And so maybe I'm not the smartest in the room because with enough time, Noel could probably recall whatever I think I know. I'm actually going to link my relationship to Denny. Uh, and I'm going to say that Denny reminds me of my humanity. And I don't know if he knows this or not, because Noel is obviously she doesn't look the same anymore. She's in this foreign body. But I think that I went to the same college as Denny and that we were in a bunch of classes together. So 
being around him reminds me, keeps me in connection with my humanity. I like that. That's interesting. Uh, I think mine is with Vance. Um, I think I see his level of just intelligence and expertise with all this stuff. And it's just, it's inspiring to Denny um, because he isn't great with that stuff. So, you know, he sees what he can do, just the ideas that he comes up with and that he like aspires towards that level. And, you know, being this relentlessly happy-go-lucky guy, you know, there's no level of uh, competition to it because he knows he's nowhere near it. It's just that like, I I can do that. I can get there. He can show me how to do this and be a good scientist and a good doctor. Um, So yeah, I think it's aspires towards Vance's intellect. Aspires toward Vance's intellect. I love it. All right. And then uh, just going off of my trouble uh, with Denny, I'm also going to make my relationship with Denny. I think that Denny is my chance at redemption for killing his father. Well, not for I was going to say, now, wait a second. (laughs) Did you kill him? Did you let him die? Or did you fail fail to to prevent his death? I failed to prevent his death. Okay. Let's get this in order for the court stenographer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, you have two more slots for aspects. But before we get into those, I do need to talk briefly about corruption. Some of you are going to have aspects that are corrupted. Uh, which is to say, they have been twisted by the eldritch forces. If you are a time traveler, by necessity, one of your aspects, one of these final two aspects, is going to be corrupted. Uh, it is something that just is a natural part of contacting the outer god at the edge of forever and allowing it to transport you through time. You get changed by the process. So uh, you have some aspect that is uh that reflects the way this change has happened and it might be i got tentacles for arms now that's just a a mutation that has occurred and if you are someone in the past it is also possible for you to have a corrupted aspect if you can kind of justify to me how you have spent enough time with eldritch phenomena to get twisted by it the thing about corrupted aspects is that uh they make you more monstrous but they do come with an advantage, which is called a corruption stunt. And we'll get to stunts in a moment, but a corruption stunt is particularly powerful. It's kind of a superpower that you get uh, that allows you to be just better than everyone else because of your monstery nature. So you, Noel, and Vance, you definitely have one corrupted aspect if you wanted. Uh, Since you have worked so much with the paranormal, you could take a second one as well. The only downside to doing that is you only have five aspects, and if they all become corrupted, then uh, you turn into a monster, and that is basically how you don't play the game anymore. Okay. Noel, do you have thoughts? Boy, I'm trying to decide if I want a second corrupt aspect or not. Um, I think that my corrupt aspect that I have in mind is the synthetic body that when they put it together, it may have been a little more realistic on the inside, that it seemed more believably synthetic and that the process of traveling back through time caused some of the technology to kind of spread almost like a virus that all of the inside now if you cut the skin blue liquid comes out instead of blood and there is circuitry and wires like there is no sense of humanity if you are to 
like, oh, no, we've got to get this person in. They've been in a car accident. Let's <laughs> get them in here and open them up. There's no fooling anybody. Um, so I think that that's my my corrupt aspect right now. Does that seem like a, along the right lines? That seems along the right lines. Like it, it is sort of obviously synthetic upon close scrutiny. Would you say there's like an uncanniness to you as well? Yes, I think that I think that maybe I'll actually call this aspect like the uncanny valley. That she looks really humanoid, but there's something just off about it. Maybe I'll call this aspect Polar Express <laughs> because it's that feeling of like, oh, this is pretty close to human, it, but there's something about it that makes me really uncomfortable. Call it Tom Hanks in Polar Express. <laughs> I love that. The Uncanny Valley is a very good name for a uh, for a corrupted aspect, I think. Uh, I am actually going to go with one that is in the book. The aspect is called the Eye of Tindalos. Uh, one of your eyes is a pure black orb pulled from a dead hound. With it, anything that has itself traveled through time appears to glow, and people or items that have been affected by time travel have an obvious aura as well. Unfortunately, being a time traveler yourself, you're susceptible to being distracted by your own temporal displacement aura. Uh, I think that sounds great. I think whoever wrote that stunt is a genius. It was you, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that is fantastic. You can definitely take the uh, the hound's eye. And what about you? In the past, do you want to be corrupted, uh, Humphrey and Denny, or do you want to just be one hundred percent human as you go into this? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just start out with Denny's uh, uh, cockiness here and say I am incorruptible. <laughs> <laughs> Make, making that an aspect huh? <laughs> okay no i don't think he would have one yet i don't i don't think so uh me neither all right uh in which case uh you have two more free you in the past you have two more free slots for two more aspects just two more defining features of yourself and you time travelers you have one more slot for a, a free aspect uh and it can be just Really, any fact about your character that you think is interesting? In an ideal world, this would be something a little bit double-edged, where you can take advantage of it, but also I can come up with a way to uh, make it mm, cause you trouble as well. Uh, I think I will go with the idea that, yeah, he's a butler, but also a soldier. Mm -hmm. So he always keeps his equipment clean and maintained. And then for the sort of soldierly fact, I think he's quick on the draw. Okay. That's like kind of a perfect example of an aspect. Quick on the draw is good for you if you want to act first, and it's good for me if I want you to act two first. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for Denny, I went with parkour enthusiast. I think he's just a very athletic dude, and so... <laughs> You know, I'm almost picturing more like Prince of Persia than Indiana Jones by now. Um, you know, so he's used to getting up into the places that are hard to get to and that kind of thing. And the other one I went with, relentlessly positive. Um, I think I think he knows he's working on a little bit of luck and uh, it's gotten him this far and he believes he can keep going with it. So it doesn't matter how bad the situation is or how scared he is. There's a way to survive it. Excellent. I support that. I think that goes very well with Overwhelmingly Curious. <laughs> I don't know what's down this spooky hallway, but it's gonna be great. <laughs> Do you have thoughts on how parkour enthusiasts can be used against you? Because in my head, it's like it's time to escape and we run out and there's like a pristine Jeep <laughs> with all the supplies we need. But then there's also like a sick picnic table leaning against a wall 
And you're like, I've gotta, I gotta climb that. You are Shia LaBeouf in Indiana Jones Four. <laughs> Instead of getting in the car, you're taking the vines with the yep. monkeys. <laughs> Didn't you know that you can swing on vines sixty-five miles per hour? <laughs> so my other aspect, I think I'm going to not be corrupt, um, but it's going to kind of sound corrupt. It is <laughs> ends justify the means, Ooh. and I think that it goes along with why she made the decision to be put into this body that you know whatever i or this team goes through whatever bad things we may do as long as we stop this it's worth it i like that that feels good for my final aspect i'm gonna go with dark web contacts i think that some of the people that he used to kick around like paranormal theories and stuff with on the forums uh, they're still around in the past, obviously. So he has the ability to reach out to these people and get information or theories or, you know, just perspectives that he wouldn't find elsewhere. That's beautiful and important. Dark web contacts. One thing before I move on, I do want to uh, cycle back real quick to the Uncanny Valley, because as we saw with uh, Dr. Vance's uh, Eye of Tindalos, you know, that is an aspect that also comes with a power. Uh, as you said from, from the book, it gives you the ability to just see things that have traveled through time, to be aware of that. And that is part of what uh, corrupted aspects do. They come with sort of an inherent power that they uh, allow you to do. Noel, your Uncanny Valley, sort of in my mind, that is the, the, the power attached to that probably has to do with some limitless amount of knowledge or some incredible amount of knowledge stuffed in you. Let me ask if this is this may be too far reaching. Um, with the idea of the uncanny valley being, you know, this synthetic body, I feel like what might come from that in the sense of specifically the story that we're playing, that she may have a a strength against illness and disease because she doesn't have many biological parts left. Yeah, that makes perfect sense that since you have this uncanny valley body, you are essentially immune to disease and probably, you know, don't need necessarily need air uh, okay or a tremendous amount of food yeah okay then we have our five aspects you are a bunch of super awesome characters i love all of you to bits <laughs> it's time to give yourself some skills uh and skills are you know what they sound like they are the varied and sundry broad reaching abilities that you have uh and you will create a little skill pyramid for yourself where you have one that is great which is uh plus four uh one that or two that are plus three three that are plus two, four that are plus one, uh, and the rest are mediocre. They do not get a bonus. Uh, obviously, the higher a skill is, the better you are at doing that thing. Uh, skills being academics, which is your you know, knowledge of knowing stuff. Athletics is running and jumping. I suspect Denny is good at that. Burglary would be like breaking and entering and pickpocketing and things of that nature. Contacts is knowing people, being able to tap into the folks that you know. Crafts is your ability to make stuff. Deceive is what it sounds like. It's lying. Drive is your ability to do cars. Uh, <laughs> empathy is your ability to read folks, understand what they are about. Uh, fight is for, like, melee combat. 
that's probably not going to matter. Don't worry about that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> investigate is kind of dedicated research, looking into a thing, finding out what you can. This would include like late nights at libraries or crime scene investigation. Lore would be kind of your paranormal knowledge, the uh, spooky equivalent to academics. Notice is, well, do you notice stuff? It's your uh, instant, like... Do you see the trap in the corner? Do you see the lion in the bush? Uh, physique would be kind of your strength and your ability to make use of your physical instrument. Uh, provoke is your ability to uh, intimidate, get folks to do what you want them to do by being threatening, uh, or to encourage the monster to attack you instead of your friend. Uh, rapport would be your friendly conversation skills. Uh, do you get people to like you and trust you? Resources is how much stuff do you have? How much money and goods can you bring to bear? Shoot is do you guns good? <laughs> uh, stealth, do you sneak good? And will, of course, would be your ability to kind of persevere in the face of unspeakable horrors. For Dr. Benson, um, the plus four is going to go in academics. I think that's fairly clear. He is a researcher and a smart guy. I'm going to do a plus three in investigate and a plus three in notice. Because I think in, in addition to being just really smart, he's also, he's really analytical and he picks up on things. That's part of the deal is, you know, he picks up on patterns. He just kind of notices things that other people commonly don't. Plus two in athletics, plus two in contacts. I think that reflects his dark web contacts. Uh, plus two in lore. He knows some of the spooky stuff, but he, he hasn't been exposed to it long enough to be like a super expert in it. Uh, and then a one in deceive, provoke, resources, and will. And the rest of them sit at zero. Noelle has her four in lore. Her threes are in physique and will, that she is in this strong body uh, and that she had the resolve to put herself through this process, both becoming this kind of android thing as well as traveling back in time uh, my twos are craft fight and notice and my ones are academics athletics investigate and deceive uh for denny i definitely put my four in athletics i think he's very good at that stuff for the threes i went with rapport um because i just think he's he's you know such a kind of nice guy that he just genuinely gets along with everybody, even if they don't get along with him. Um, <laughs> but he, he finds that way to find their soft spot. And then a three in will. Uh, I think that relentless positivity comes with a lot of willpower. You know, it's it's perseverance uh, to get through true fears and these ridiculous eldritch horror times. For the twos, I went with empathy. I think he's, you know, moderate at gauging people's reactions to things and just, you know, how they're really feeling. Uh, and two to notice. Notice and shoot, I both have twos. And I think those are skills learned from Humphrey. I think he's really taken a lot of his advice there. And I did a one in academics. I think a little bit of the schooling stuck with him. Uh, a one in burglary, because you got to be at least okay at breaking into tombs. I think just a one to fight. And I think, again, he learned that a little bit from Humphrey, and I've got some ideas for my stunts based on that, and a plus one to physique as well. He's in pretty good shape. Uh, for Humphrey, I would have put a plus four into either fight or shoot because of the military, but I think because he's also a butler, I think with both of those trainings involved that uh, he 
has a plus four in notice. You know, he can pick up, oh, I see these wires sticking out. That's obviously uh, an IED. Oh, there's a bunch of dirt on the floor. Denny's been in here again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Denny's pig pen. We didn't mention my other aspect, dirty all the time. (laughs) Um, But I did, however, put uh, plus three into fight and to shoot because of the military. Uh, I also did a plus two in athletics, physique, and resources. And then I got a plus one into burglary, plus one into drive, uh, plus one into empathy, and plus one into will. And then the rest are zeros. Sounds good. Few more things to take care of. Refresh would be next on character creation list. Uh, Your refresh is the number of fate points you start a session with, which defaults to three. Fate points are kind of the currency of the game. To take advantage of an aspect... Uh, for a bonus, you would spend one of your fate points. Uh, and then if I am going to compel one of your aspects to make life harder for you, you also get a fate point <laughs> for letting me do that. So you uh, default to three. If you want to have a lower starting refresh, you would get extra stunts to make up for it. Basically, you can buy stunts with refresh. Or you can just stick with the default three. And that, of course, takes us straight to stunts. And stunts are like the special, unique abilities that you have. You start with a default of two stunts, and it is just a kind of specific way in which you excel. Often stunts are ways you can kind of break the rules in an interesting way, like using a skill for something it wouldn't necessarily normally be used for. For instance, you could have a stunt that is backstab. I can use stealth to attack if my opponent isn't aware of me. Something like that. Nice. It's uh, a a different use for a skill in a specific circumstance. Or stunts could also be just a bonus to a skill, again, in a specific circumstance. Or they could be like some other kind of specific way in which you break the rules in an interesting way. Do something that would be otherwise impossible, uh, you know, once once a session or once a uh, once a scene, depending on how big and game-changing it could be. How specific of a circumstance? You had said, I think before we started like recording, that fate has four kind of base actions. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the four base actions, whatever skill you're doing, you're either going to be attacking, you're going to be defending, uh, you'll be overcoming an obstacle, which is kind of the uh, umbrella term for, I say you can't do a thing, so you roll the dice to prove that you can. Uh, or you'll be creating an advantage, which is um, sort of a- another way that we play around with aspects in Fade. It would be a way that you create an aspect. You change the scene. Uh, something like setting somebody on fire is the very <laughs> classic example of creating an advantage. <laughs> For your stunts, mostly they will involve one skill for one action in a relatively narrow circumstance. And I try to be pretty flexible. Uh, If the circumstance you have in mind is extremely narrow, then maybe it's good for more than one action or more than one skill. So the first one I'm thinking of is, again, riding off this like super analytical picks up on the details that I can use my notice instead of, I think is empathy. Empathy is like to read a person, right? Yeah. Uh, So I'm thinking I can use notice instead of empathy to tell when someone's being dishonest with me Um, just because he sees if they're sweating or if their eyes are darting around, like he, he can visibly tell the signs that someone's being dishonest. Would that be when rolling to overcome because someone's like trying to lie to me? Uh, yes. I think that would fall under 
the the sort of ages of overcoming an obstacle related to dishonesty or being lied to. Uh, and do you know what your other stunt is going to be? Your other sort of default? Yeah. So again, I am really on this one track here because of his good notice that if he's got a, an opportunity to like size up someone before a fight, like, you know, if he anticipates a fight or if it seems like one is coming and he has the opportunity to like look him up and down that he can maybe pinpoint a weakness or, you know, see something that he thinks he can take advantage of and maybe that can benefit him in the fight somehow. I feel like this somehow creating an advantage it sounds kind of like what you're interested in is getting a, a free opportunity to create an advantage before a fight if you uh if you can size up your opponent yes i love it <laughs> is that okay so how would i phrase that that i that if i have that opportunity i can start combat with an advantage yeah that that makes sense to me as as again this would be a rules exception most people don't get a free advantage but since you have a stunt for it if you get an opportunity to size up an opponent which is to say like you aren't surprised or ambushed uh-huh. then you start a fight with a you know situation aspect something like i've sized him up with probably one free invoke on it okay so you just get you know one nice free invoke you can use if you get a chance to size up your opponent neat excellent I'm going to call my first stunt Know Your Enemy, and it lets me use lore to attack if it is against documented minions of an old one. Okay. Like, if it's something that we know of in the future that, you know, maybe in the future we know weaknesses of these things that people didn't know 10 years ago. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and then the other one I have named Survival Protocol, and it is that if Vance is in danger, I get a plus two to athletics to overcome obstacles to get the two of us to safety. Yeah, I like that. Um, One of my stunts, I think I'm going to go with one that I like to call bigger threat. And so because of the idea that I'm this military fighting guy, I think I come off as a bigger threat if we're surrounded by enemies that they're going to go for me. So I would use fight instead of provoke to uh, get enemies to come after me instead. So this is like specifically if you are surrounded by enemies? Yeah, like outnumbered, if anything. I like that. Um, And then my next stunt, I think because of like all the weird stuff that I've seen Denny either get into or uh, do or anything, like I feel like I need to be prepared for some of that. So I think because of my fastidious nature that I would be prepared with some outlandish item or weird item that we could say I I have once per uh, episode or session or... Probably once per session if it's like some useful thing that you're pulling out. Uh, Yeah, yeah, because uh, like... Who knows? Maybe it's a lucky rabbit's foot that drains uh, away bad juju or something like that. I don't know. So Ever since the affair in Peru, you've always carried a <laughs> yeah. dinosaur skull in your bag <laughs> in case of emergencies. So you can spend refresh points to buy new stunts too, right? Correct. So if you want to take a third stunt, then you would just lower your refresh down to two. Uh, although your refresh cannot go below one, so don't do that. All right, gotcha. Um, I want to buy another one. I, I think I should get a plus two to notice booby traps. Your notice is already sky high, so you are going to notice the heck out of booby traps. Yeah. <laughs> plus two to, I guess, overcome an obstacle with notice by seeing traps or something along those lines uh for denny the one that i know for sure um 
I think is because of my athletic background, I can fight with athletics when the terrain is fitting for parkour like actions. Okay. I just don't see him as a very sneaky guy. So any times that he's somewhere that he shouldn't be, it's realizing that he has to fight his way out. And he doesn't always want to hurt necessarily full on hurt people or kill people, but he's getting through. <laughs> All right. I like that. The only thing that I would do, because that does seem a little bit broad. Uh, sure. Would you be using your athletics mostly to attack your opponents or to stay out of trouble? Because if you're if you're doing breakdance fighting, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I would say like limited to attack with uh, with athletics. I feel like that's right. Yeah, when it's okay, attack specifically. Thank you. That's a good call. Okay. For the other one, I would love assistance on this because true to character, I think I was inspired by Vance in that idea of taking a little time. So what I have in mind with his positivity is like the ability to like when it's very clearly a tense situation, stuff might be going bad. I like the idea of him giving a, a, a kind of a, a rousing speech or some positive words to reassure everybody. Like, is there a way for me to kind of bardically give <laughs> them an advantage? Or like, I, I guess I'm not sure just mechanically if that's a thing I can manage. Absolutely. You can like create an advantage by, say, using rapport to give an extravagant speech or an inspirational speech. Yeah. That is, that is beautiful. And... Depending on what sort of bonus you wanted, you could maybe get uh, like a bonus to rep. Your, your rapport is three, right? It's already pretty high. Correct. Uh, you could get a plus two to rapport to be very good at delivering a speech. <laughs> Another uh, bonus that's roughly equivalent is if you give a speech, you get an extra free invoke on it. Got it. Which would kind of let that speech last a little longer for your companions. Okay, I love that. So you want to do that one? You get a free invoke? I like the invoke, yeah. I think we'll go with that. Now that I think about it, you, you have created the example that is in the book for <laughs> a different kind of bonus equivalent to a rough two. Nice. <laughs> uh, when a skilled okay. orator creates an advantage with rapport, it gets an extra free invo. I love it. And that brings us to uh, corruption stunts, uh, which you corrupted time travelers. Uh, you have. These are a special sort of sub-kind of stunt that are twice as powerful as a regular stunt, but you have to pay for them by checking off a box of corruption, which is a very limited resource. You have, uh, all of you have a, a corruption clock on your character sheet. It has four little boxes in it, and when those uh, get filled, y'all get corrupted, which uh, immediately corrupts another one of your aspects and turns you just a, a little more monstrous. But until then, you get to take advantage of corruption stunts, <laughs> uh, which potentially give you like either a plus four to something or a plus two to something that is already kind of impossible for a regular human to do. You, Dr. Vance, you know what yours is, right? Since yours is from the book. Yes. So mine is called Fourth Dimensional Vision. Uh, your eye catches on the angles of time, allowing you to see changes just before they happen. You can mark corruption to defend with notice with a plus two bonus against any form of backlash. Oh, excellent. Yes. And and backlash is kind of in-universe. The, uh, well, the universe trying to snap back into shape after some weird time travel event or uh, a use of magic. Mostly, that's not easy to defend against, but man, you got it. But man, am I observant. <laughs> <laughs> 
You notice the heck out of this backlash. Uh, and as for you, Noel, what uh, what do you want for your corruption stunt? So I'm going to go with one of the pre-made corruption stunts. Impossible knowledge. You may mark corruption and roll with lore with a plus two bonus to discover an aspect of eldritch entities, even if it's impossible for you to have ever encountered them before. So I think like the idea that she is so filled with knowledge that there has not even been time for her to process all of it that was dumped into the system. So there could be stuff that she could discover while she's while she's here. Interesting. I like that. What do you think about the person who wrote that particular stunt? I think the person who wrote that particular stunt is handsome as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much all of the stunts in this book were written by a genius. That's that's all I'll say. (laughs) And that is uh, about the end of like decisions that you have to make for character creation. The last thing you have is your stress and consequences. Stress is, you know, how you absorb bad things happening to your character. Uh, Everyone defaults to having three boxes of physical stress and three boxes of mental stress. You can think of it like hit points if if that brings you comfort. (laughs) (laughs) However, uh, your physique and will increase that. Uh, So if you have a uh, physique that is average or fair that is plus one or plus two you get an extra box of physical stress if you have a physique that is plus three or plus four you get two extra boxes uh, bringing you to a grand total of six and then will does the same thing for mental stress the higher your will the more mental stress you can take oh that's awesome because uh my physical and my will went up by one point each so if we have say a plus three in physique and a plus three in will uh well then you would have six points of physical and mental stress listen i'm not saying there's anyone at the table like that (laughs) but if it was a super smart robot from the future they might you're not telling everyone to hide behind the robot tank (laughs) but if they come to that decision on their own uh i've got my plus one will so that'll Get me an extra mental stress box. Uh, my physicality gives me a plus one on that, and then my high will gets me the three more. All right. Good for withstanding the horrors. Uh, and now you have characters. Congratulations. Huzzah. Yay. About the only thing that remains to do is kind of talk about how y'all ended up together. Uh, and we've sort of gone into this beforehand. Noel and Vance, Noel, sorry, and Vance... You were working together on this this project at uh, in the last bastion of humanity, this time traveling project. And I know how Humphrey and Denny uh, know one another. Uh, but how did how did you two groups kind of get together? Uh, what induced y'all to work as a foursome? I think that it is my connection with Denny that we get back into the past and as. Dr. Vance and I are trying to figure out what to do. I start cycling through some of the news articles from this time period, maybe even just a little bit before, and that maybe I come across something that links his father to the events that happened. And so, you know, his father being lost, I think that, oh, he may set out to figure out what's going on. He might be a good ally in this time period. Just sort of seek him out. Yeah, I think that like we seek him out, maybe not even necessarily under honest pretenses at first, but that, you know, I think this is probably where Vance comes in of like what the story would be when we show up. I just, I think I have the suggestion, but I don't know how to sell it. I am not a good liar. It's okay. This is all backstory. You don't have to, you don't have to roll. It's true. So somehow, (laughs) oh no, we're doing this scene. It's going to be hilarious. (laughs) 
Vincent Noel, in your uh, little bastion in Alberta, Canada, the world as you know it has ended, uh, and you have devoted the last few months to Project Yogg-Sothoth. Uh, and this is now the culmination of all of that. As uh, the world around you is a, a plague-ridden hellscape, you are in a laboratory surrounded by researchers uh, in robes, holding daggers, performing a ritual uh, that, if done right, will essentially unmake the last decade of the reality they know. And if done wrong, will probably kill everyone. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Uh, was I involved in the research that led to this this ritual? You tell me. Were you involved in this research? I was involved in the research, and therefore I have every confidence that it's going to work perfectly. <laughs> Excellent. That confidence is, uh, I'm sure, infectious to the rest of the uh, <laughs> to the rest of the ritual performers. Y you don't want to call them cultists because this is science that they're doing. It's just science where they did have to kill a goat to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> there you are in your uh, in the chamber where it is all about to go down, and the ritual reaches a climax. The moon above flares bright red, and you find yourself absorbed into Yogg-Sothoth, a immense, eternal, timeless being from the outer edge of existence that touches all times and places simultaneously. And you are whisked back in time. And let me be clear here, this is very painful. This is an immensely unpleasant process as you are tossed through reality as you understand it. It's hard to make sense of what happens, although I feel like you, Noel, probably have a better ability to watch what's going on, since you don't have organs getting sloshed around so much. <laughs> so I'm going to say that you roll notice and try and beat uh, uh, just a plus two for me. Four. So you get this sort of kaleidoscopic vision uh, uh, as you are flung through time in which you can see not just Vance alongside of you, but like multiple iterations of Vance. Vance from dozens of different times, some younger and more bold and brash, some older, some horribly disfigured, and some torn to pieces. You also see a guy you once knew in college when you were a human, and some older person who you don't recognize whatsoever, tumbling through time. You don't necessarily know what to make of that. Uh, and then moments before you are spat out into the world, you see a face that you are very familiar with, twisted and covered in sores and cysts, uh, and a broken crown, and a yellow fur about its neck. You see the face of the king as if it is turning its attention upon you, somewhere in this timeless void of Yogg-Sothoth. And just the very moment that happens, you are spat out into the snow, somewhere in Canada, naked, the time travel process having absorbed all the inorganic material around you. Uh, next to you, equally naked, but much dizzier, is Dr. Vance Benson. Doctor, are you alright? Other than being extremely cold, yes, I suppose this is fine. <laughs> I saw something very strange as we traveled, Doctor. A face that I recognized from my time in school. That sounds exciting? Do you think that it has significance to our mission? It seems like it might be a good place to start. 
because I saw him as well as someone else that I didn't recognize, but I also saw many versions of you in various levels of distress, some blown apart, some diseased, some old, yes, some with... Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> now, I, I get where you're going with this. But he was the same ah, the entire time I saw him. Very well. Let's track down your old accomplice and figure out if he has anything to contribute. Very well. But first, let's track down a clothing store that will allow two nude people to enter and shop their wares. <laughs> I am not going to make you roll for naked shopping. Oh, thank God. Uh, let us uh, skip ahead to, I suppose, the uh, the front door of... Danny, do you have, like, the Fairfield Estate? Where do you live? I think it's kind of a big old townhouse somewhere in uh, the New England area, and it's just filled with old artifacts and things from digs and, you know, things that he could get away with keeping, and and uh, I think that's just sort of the base of operations. It's where all of his dad's old books and things were. Um, so that's where he goes back to in between hunting for his dad. All right. I like the I like the sound of that. So that is where you are when uh, there's probably going to be a, a knock on the door. Before we knock, can I see what I can find about Denny to to know what may have become of him or what he was up to when everything started to fall apart? Uh, yes, you absolutely can. I would say this is probably falling under investigate. Danny, you don't strike me as someone who, like, hides all of your exploits. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is going to be a pretty, pretty easy, again, like a plus two on this investigation. Three. Three. That is a success. So yeah, you uh, are able. You you find Denny's blog, <laughs> and uh, are able to like understand a lot of what he was going into, and perhaps more importantly, what his father was involved in, because some of that is ringing very important bells for you, which kind of ties into the timeline, the events that you have been sent back to prevent. Uh, because one of the artifacts that Roger Fairfield was uh, looking into was The King in Yellow, the play. Uh, a a little-known play uh, about a king in yellow that uh, had a kind of surprisingly uh, torrid history in the 18th century. Also, like... A little bit of tracking down Roger Fairfield's movements also links him to Peru, a location that is interesting to you because of the like sheer number of city growths that happen uh, after the arrival of the king in yellow. So that information is very interesting to you, although it seems like uh, uh, Denny himself isn't necessarily as tapped into the king in yellow business directly. So I imagine Noel and... The doctor standing outside of the door, like right, getting ready to ring the doorbell. Do you imagine that this is a situation where honesty may be the best policy? We do not have much time. I am always of the opinion that truth and honesty are the best way to any outcome. Very well. And I'll ring the doorbell. Humphrey, pizza's here. <laughs> All right, I'll get it. Hold on. And I eventually get to the door because I am like covered in like uh an apron i've got like a, a vacuum i'm trying to clean the place up because denny keeps making a mess of things uh and i open the door i <laughs> well i don't like this established lore <laughs> too late <laughs> yeah what can i do for you oh Are i you... recognize you you're the old man from my vision i'm looking for denny fairfield 
I don't know what you're talking about, but, uh, Denny, some strange people are here for you. And then I'm going to go about my uh, cleaning business. I'll come down and poke my head around the corner and see who's at the door. Hi. Hello, Denny. My name is Noel, and this is Dr. Vance Benson. We come from the future, where the King in Yellow has destroyed the world. We believe that your father was connected to it, and as we traveled back in time, I saw your face. So we thought we would come here to seek you out. I hold up like a finger to Denny, just like a one moment, and then I lean over to Noel and I go, I should have made clear. <laughs> you can be honest and tactful <laughs> and deliver information at a processable rate. Oh, I see. But this is, the bell is rung and we can't unring it, so this is fine. But just in the future. Ah. You don't have to dump it all at once. I see. Interject anecdotes between statements of fact. Yes, precisely. Do you guys want to come sit down? That would be tremendous. Thank you. Head inside. The next thing we need to do, figure out what your next steps are. Uh, And that is where we consult the timeline and look at the events which have led to the end of the world, and you decide which one you want to tackle. So in Fate of Cthulhu, each timeline is broken down into four different events, um, and these aren't linear. You can tackle them in whatever order you want. In theory, in an extended game, you would hit all four of them and hopefully make them better, or maybe make them much, much worse. In the case of The King in Yellow, these four events are... One of them is called To Uncover the Conscience of the King, uh, which is to say that very little is known about the King in Yellow as an entity before it appeared, but in Bastion you have uncovered information about a play called The King in Yellow, written by uh, one Robert Chambers, a play which was put on once, uh, and everyone who was involved then went on to either kill themselves or one another. The play was destroyed, supposedly, but one copy uh, has been discovered and is currently on display at the Huntington Library in Pasadena, California. So little is known about this play, you don't know what to do with it. Uh, The plan has been suggested that you take this book, you bury it in the grave of one Edith Preminger so that in the future they can dig it up and maybe get more information about the king in yellow. And I think, like, as they're describing this mission to you, Denny, you might recognize, oh yeah, yeah, my father did have some, like, hand to play in finding this. Okay. Or, if you don't want to tackle that, you could go for Wrapped Up in White Linen and Cold as the Clay, uh, the first outbreak of the disease which will be sweeping the world in the next uh, decade, has just just started in Sierra Leone uh, is a virulent plague, which is at the moment being called Marburg hemorrhagic fever. Um, but, you know, in, in retrospect, it is clear that this was the first of the many plagues that would sweep the world. And in Sierra Leone is a woman named Dr. Lisette Brodeur, working for Doctors Without Borders, who in 2029 will almost discover the cure. Too late to be of any use. But you have some of her notes. You specifically, uh, Noel, you have like the most important thing in your data banks is all of the notes of Dr. Lizette Brodeur uh, so that you can jumpstart her research if you can get through this plague-wracked city. Or, but stranger still is Lost Carcosa. This is a site in Peru, a city that is 
discovered in a cave, small, a couple hundred acres worth of city that appears to be Bronze Age in origin, but is styled like a 19th century city with gas lamps and roads and what look like stone vehicles. This came to be known as Carcosa for reasons unknown, matched perfectly the cities that rose up from the ground when the King in Yellow took power. The thought is... Perhaps if you can block off this cave, or destroy this city, or at least come to understand it, that will give humanity an advantage. Or, the final event, uh, Le Roi est mort, vive le roi. This one's simple. One of the first things the King in Yellow did in London, before everyone died, there are some video results of him walking into the British Museum and emerging wearing the Pallid Mask, a uh, white mask found in the palace of Arshubinapal in the Assyrian city of Nimrud. Nobody knows why he's wearing this thing, but he went and got it specifically, so it's important, so why don't you smash it? <laughs> These are the missions that all of humanity came up with. The four things that maybe, God willing, will do something to prevent the king from taking power. Y'all, where do you want to go today? They're all so good. They're all so good. <laughs> we exchanged a look on the first one, like, well, obviously it's going to be that. And then every one of them, we were like, well, shit. Oh, no. Uh, I would vote either the play or the mask because they're heisty. I, as a player, like both of those. The thing that I'm concerned about is with Noelle knowing about this doctor and getting her these research notes, like, is it a problem if that's not the first step in the sense of like how the timeline works? The timeline is purposefully like there are no dates attached to it. It is made to be loose and flexible to fit your needs as players. Okay. So that you can kind of tackle them in the order that is the most fun and interesting and sort of justify that however you uh, want. Okay. So if if you want to let us know that, you know, Dr. Brodeur hasn't yet left her previous position and gone to Sierra Leone, she's on vacation, so you have a couple months that you can tackle something else. That's fine. Yeah, she's she's walking the Lord of the Rings trail right now and that's a <laughs> that's a long vacation. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to say the museum as well. I like the idea of of that mask and what's going on with it. Tass wants to check out the play. But I think Denny would be like, relic. I want this relic. Oh, yeah. What is this and what does it do? I just like the idea of like a London museum being like this huge spooky place that we can all like get lost in and fight creepy old things. And I yeah, I'm going to go with the museum mask heist. I think that is a uh, fantastic choice. So we are we are set. We are uh, going to the British Museum. You purchase some plane tickets. Denny, that's going to be on you. These other two don't have money. Uh, you make your way out to London. Uh, you have plenty of time to kind of do some research. I suspect a lot of this research for, uh, for you, Noel, is like just sitting quietly, tracking down the information that is locked away in you. Yeah. Kind of tying back to the play, the mask uh, is referenced in the play, The Yellow King. One of the few lines that is known uh, is a uh, quick scene uh, of a stranger wearing a pallid mask during a masquerade, which... Uh, goes like this. Camilla to Stranger, you, sir, should unmask. Stranger, indeed. Casilda, indeed, we have laid aside disguise, all but you. Stranger, I wear no mask. Camilla, terrified. No mask? No mask! 
Uh, the only known reference to this pallid mask. Uh, eventually, you do make your way to London. You get in a, a plaque cab. And as you get closer to the museum, you, Dr. Vance, you start noticing things. You start noticing glowing spots around you. You see things that shimmer. And you realize this is this is your eye, your hound's eye, which... Why did you shove a hound's eye in your head? I actually am tempted to say that it was just on the way back here. That in the time stream, you know, touching all places and all times, that there was just a bad crossover and I came out with this eye. This eye, this, like, for reasons you haven't known for the last couple of weeks, your eye has been solid black. You kind of hoped it would heal up and it hasn't. But now you are seeing strange glowing shimmers as you get closer to the museum. You close one eye, you recognize, no, this is definitely coming through this black eye of yours, and you get this intuitive sense that things have been shifted in time here. These things are shimmering in the same way that you and Noel do. And as you get to the museum itself, there is a police barricade in front of it, sounds of shouting and screaming within, and the front door to the building is glowing, bright red to your hound's eye. Something weird has happened to time here. The stars are right for Great Cthulhu's return. It's up to you to make them wrong again. Fate of Cthulhu by Stephen Blackmore, P.K. Sullivan, Ed Turner, Leonard Balsera, Misha Bushager and Sophie Lagasse is available now at evilhat.com. To enter for a chance to win your own copy of Fate of Cthulhu, visit thecritshowpodcast.com slash FOC. Contest ends February 16th. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Welcome to Beyond the Dark. Sub-level 19 was nothing like the other floors of Machinko. There were no alabaster workbenches, no spotless white carpets. Here, it was dank, dark, and that noise. A humming, throbbing sound like a sickly heartbeat hiding behind the whir of a great machine. A large metal cage loomed out of the darkness, backlit by an iridescent blue monitor, on which a cursor blinked idly. A metal panel slid out of an aperture in the cage near the monitor, and suddenly the cursor came to life. It read, Insert hand here. Beyond the Dark a sci-fi anthology by Mark R. Healy, creator of The Strata. Find it at beyondthedarkpodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts.